Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you and thank you for joining me again. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Bible. And we're going to begin with chapter 1. If you want to read along with me, here we go. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. Um, so Moses is Moses is the same Ten Commandments. Moses addressing the congregation, letting them know that he's about to give them the uh, orders, the uh, like he says, statutes and judgments, the Ten Commandments in um, plain English, um, that he's about to um, emphasize to them again. Because remember, this is the next generation, the younger generation already. I mean, the older generation already passed away with the death sentence they received. And now the younger generation, that was 20 years old and below, when the first time these um, commandments were given, are being given them again now. Verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. So that you have to, you have to just accept if you're going to believe this story, that this was a time when the Lord was apparently still having conversations with people directly and as it says even face to face but then it'll turn around and say that they didn't actually see the Lord's face so how can it really be face to face it kind of contradicts itself right there but we're just going to read it as it reads so let's keep reading verse 3 the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers but with us those who are here today all of us who are alive so that's another contradictory statement because the first generation that it was given to, the covenant was made with them. The ones who were 20 years old and above, who died in the wilderness for those 40 years, during those 40 years of wandering. So I'm not sure what Moses means here, where it's saying the Lord did not make the covenant with their fathers. It was their fathers who were considered unfaithful and got the death penalty, um, the long death penalty in the wilderness. But we'll just keep reading. Maybe it'll explain more. Um, but he's saying in this verse that the covenant is for that generation, the younger generation who's grown up there now, um, getting these orders. Verse 4, the Lord talked with, uh, with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. So there it is again saying face to face as if you would, if you, face implies that you're actually seeing someone's face. But then that's not actually how it's going to. Um, how he's going to explain it further so let's keep reading because that actually agrees with what the New Testament says that no one's seen God at any time or that they hadn't seen God's face at any time or his form and hadn't heard his voice at any time and I'm paraphrasing there but we've mentioned it again and again and again enough that you understand I would think you understand what I'm referring to in um, the New Testament but in case you don't if it's your first time reading with me by some miracle you can go to the book of John the fourth book in the New Testament and start reading there at the very first chapter and you'll see it contradicts what it seems to be saying here again and again and again in the Old Testament but we'll keep reading for now verse 5 I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain he said, so now Moses is recounting to them the time when Moses did go up the mountain and it was, and he went up and got the orders just one-on-one -on -one directly because the people were so terrified at the earthquaking and the fire, uh, fire around the mountain and the threats that the people received. I would imagine that had to play into the fear 
that if they uh, got near the mountain, they'd die. That instant uh, sort of zapping karma sort of thing where you broke the commandment not to get near and instantly pay for it with your life. Something that you don't see happening even now in the most recent couple of chapters that we read where the people would go out to battle. A few chapters that we read and yet the Lord doesn't lash out like that instantly um, in those cases. Instead, the people are uh, made to fight um, a war rather than just the Lord doing what he does when he's mad with the congregation. But it's how I read. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So uh, the people are being reminded that the same entity, deity, Lord, that delivered them from enslavement in Africa where they were in Egypt. Um, for 400 years they were there. Um, the same entity that delivered them through the whole Passover um, um, story, saga that happened that we read about in Exodus is the same one commanding them now. It says, verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. So the first commandment is that there's only that you should have that the Lord as your uh, one God. Um, verse eight: You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is, that is in the water under the earth. So that's the command: not to create any idols. Don't make any uh, carved images, any idols that you worship as your God. And so you could think of things like uh, charms or, um, uh, like I said, totem poles or statues or amulets, different things that people will call their Lord, their God. Sometimes people use crystals as their, um, I don't think they actually use those as their Lord, but their way of communicating with their entities or their spiritualism. But um, as far as making a carved image and calling it your God, like some of those figurines, if you want to think about that or in modern terms if you think about like um uh academy awards those are uh, something like that that could be considered an idol especially if people will do anything to get it and you've seen many actors and actresses say that's exactly what they'll do but not just that award but consider all the different things where people can get a medal or an award for sports or for um performances or whatever those can quickly easily become your idol because you're willing to do whatever it takes to get them and sometimes they mean literally whatever it takes sometimes even uh murder like you think of that whole it wasn't it didn't go to murder but the plot was the whole nancy kerrigan um tanya harding thing and that whole where people will do will call that their they won't say it explicitly that that's their lord but their actions show that they're willing to do anything to please it and in general that boils down to modern times money and probably since ancient times people will make god make money their god verse eight you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything oh i think we read that one okay so that's the order first order is have the lord uh, the recognize the lord is god second commandment is don't make any uh idols no any fake gods any man-made gods verse nine you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So that we've read before where if you sin, your descendants were going to pay for it. 
or if someone else before you sinned, one of your forefathers sinned, you could be paying for their sins according to what's read there. Um, here, but we read this also in the book of Numbers. I think is the first time where it's mentioned. But it's mentioned again and again and again. But then it also gets contradicted later on, also in the Old Testament, where it says, one, and I'm going to paraphrase there, um, that the one who sins is the one who's gonna, whose teeth will be set on the edge. Um, because it's saying the, the, the fathers of sin and the children eat sour grapes or something like that. You can search it and see for yourself. Um, and then that gets refuted by the entity at that time. And I think that's in the prophets. Might be in the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah, but um, God willing, we'll get to that passage in the Old Testament, as we call it at some point. But that's just another instance of that changing, where it's being laid out here as a commandment, and then later on, it contradicts and changes, like so many other things we've read about, including the dietary uh, regulations and restrictions. But here it's saying that people are going to pay. You're going to pay for your sins and even your descendants and descendants' descendants are going to pay for your sins. Verse 10, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So, in exchange for showing hatred toward the Lord, the entity, the God mentioned here, and let me just see if that's still being Jehovah in this instance. It usually is, but not always. Yeah, it's still, the Lord is still being re um, translated from the word Jehovah, but the word God, capital G, is being translated from the word El, E-L, with that um, accent, sort of accent mark over the E. So, uh, two different entities, or uh, at least two different titles, but they're both capitalized, and um, and they're not the same. If I've, I'm not a scholarly enough to know it, but I've seen those documentaries that compare the different uh, deities that are being worshipped in the Old Testament. One is identified as El, that E-L. Another is identified as Yah, Y-A-H. Uh, another one um, we read about is is uh, has the uh, four initials, Y-H-W-H. Some people say it's Y-H-V-H. I think that goes back to which language it's translated from. Um, but there are others. There are all many different other Entities, Baal is another one that gets worshipped in the Old Testament and mentioned in the New as being objects of worship. But according to this, there's only one God that you're supposed to be worshipping. But even that sort of contradicts, well it doesn't really contradict, but it brings into question the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where the Lord or God is speaking there. And says, let us, that's plural, make man in our image. And that's plural. So that means the Lord isn't singular there. So why does the world keep pushing an idea of monotheism as what as being what the Bible preaches when from Genesis that's not what it says at all? Yet, you know, people believe what they want to believe. Uh, verse 9. Um, sorry, read that one. Verse, then we read verse... Did we read verse 10? Yeah, we read verse 10 too. Okay, so verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So that's when you, um, taking the Lord's name in vain would be something like saying, I would think, some like when you cuss and say the GD words, 
um, that may be considered taking the Lord's name in vain. But I don't think that's necessarily even the word uh, taking the Lord's name in vain either. I think when it says, um, I would think that it would mean, um, literally, it would mean the Lord's name. It would mean whatever name you're calling or whatever entity you're calling as the Lord. Don't just use it frivolously. Like, if it's El, or if it's Yah, if it's Yahweh, if it's Jehovah, if it's Yahovah, or whatever name you're going to say as the Lord, don't just use it willy-nilly. In a more plain English sort of sense, I would think that that's the way it, it its equivalent in modern times would be how, um, at least when I was a kid, you don't call your parents by their first name. It's considered disrespectful. You call them mama, you call them daddy, you don't call them by their first name, even if other people around you are calling them by your first, their first name, like other adult family members, or if you happen to hear their workplace call them, or a phone call for them. That's for other people to call them, that's not for you to call them, out of reverence for respect for your folks. And I think that's more in line with what it means about oh, what it means by not taking the Lord's name in vain. But some people interpret that as other things um, being taken taking the Lord's name in vain. Even something like people using the phrase "OMG," that that's um, being offensive and taking the Lord's name in vain, even though the name isn't even mentioned there. But um, um, instead of saying oh my god or some people will say gosh instead of god and that that's considered taking the lord's name in vain there so that i think isn't is up for a whole lot of interpretation but for me i think of it as uh like with my parents like i said you're i don't go around calling my folks by their first name uh, you know my daddy's who's still alive he doesn't like that and I don't like I don't do that but it's just considered disrespectful and that's what what it seems but I know that's different for this generation since this generation um, has tries to befriend their children the parents raise their kids as their friends even going clubbing with them using drugs with them drinking with them doing all sorts of things with them um, not sort of um guiding them through all those sort of things but you know times change verse 12 observe the sabbath day to keep it holy as the lord your god commanded you so the next commandment is to remember that sabbath day that one day of the week where you're not supposed to do any work where where actually you're supposed to find rest i think is more uh, closer to what the true intent of it is so that you remember um, that you aren't just supposed to use your whole life to devote to work or making money or making someone else money like if for enslaved people um, and we've read about that in the when they were emancipated that they're all supposed to remember that they were slaves also and then they were given commandments on how to enslave people so there's lots of contradictory messages in the Bible and in and we're only five books in so far but here it's saying that you're supposed to remember that one day to at least have a day of rest that's what the sabbath is about a day of rest and jesus lets us christians know that that day of rest was created for us not for us not us for it so you aren't supposed to bend over backwards to make sure you observe that commandment rather you should bend over backwards to make sure that you have remember that commandment as a 
respite for ourselves and to remember our that ourselves that day was created for us to rest on not so that we can break our neck trying to make sure we observe it um and i guess it's a fine line but for us christians jesus sort of makes it much clearer or he clarifies it for us in the gospels uh, verse 13 six days you should labor and do all your work so again that's the six days and um but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord your god in it you shall do no work nor you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you so that's the intent of the commandment to remember that everyone gets at least one day of rest in that week and don't just spend your whole life toiling for yourself or for someone else but you know that in modern times as well as back then people then um weren't faithful to that commandment because they'll do things that are exactly opposite of that they'll make it the cost of living so high where people have to work every single day of the week maybe even two or three jobs to be able to support themselves and take care of themselves and their families and that's in a god a so-called god-fearing christian nation where that exists and in other companies will do other uh, corporations companies entities will do things like um that one chicken place that has every sunday their clothes where you don't have to work on that sunday it's 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 uh your sabbath your day of rest off and they'll do stuff like that and say that it's in reverence and recognition of what the bible says about that sabbath day of rest but then they'll turn around and do things like a few years ago and um oppose all the lgbt um uh equality measures that came out and think that they're being righteous and holy in doing that when that again we've gone over that again and again and again where if you're a christian that's not the case if you're some other religion in the bible sure that makes sense you may be against uh lgbt uh rights and equality but if you're a christian that's anti-christ because christ tells us differently in the new testament but um we've gone over that again and again and again but it's just an example of how people will do exactly what jesus says they'll think that they're doing god's service but in reality they're doing the exact opposite verse 15 and remember that you were a slave in the land of egypt and the lord your god brought you out of the out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm therefore the lord your god commanded you to keep the sabbath day so this is one of the few times that the word slave is mentioned instead of servant when it comes to remembering um uh where we came from though it's they're being reminded here the congregation is being reminded that um don't forget your or origins don't forget not that long ago you were being beaten and abused and working for free to make someone else rich don't forget that so that when you're not in that position anymore and you get a come up where you're not someone's um uh kick around boy that you don't turn around and do the same thing to other people and yet when you see just like in the american slave saga just like in the bible slave saga that that's not what happened at all people got their freedom then turned around and stepped on their neighbor it's sick but it seems to be human nature an evil side of human nature that does forget where it came from 
Verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So honoring your father and your mother, basically respect your folks. Um, a lot of them don't seem to deserve a whole lot of respect. Like I said, if you, you don't have to look very far. If you turn on the news, you can see that the parenting in modern times is as bad as it's ever been, if not worse. Um, uh, but the honoring them, I think, goes down to recognizing that whatever you have, whatever you attain, whatever you become, is only a result of those parents coming together and whether that's voluntary or involuntary like in the case of rape that um you as the child have to um honor the um your parents that doesn't mean they have to honor each other that doesn't mean they aren't wrong for the rape obviously they are at least in my opinion but as the child of the the result of those two uh, it seems the result i'm saying i'm sorry as the child of as the result of those two coming together the child's perspective it should be to still respect or honor their parents. Um, then that doesn't mean just um, um, do whatever they tell you to do. It just means honor them. And honor can be show can show up in many many different ways. Um, verse seventeen: You shall not murder. That's pretty cut and dry. Although people will try to rationalize that to say, oh no, murder doesn't mean taking another life. It means premeditation. But then that's just rationalizing because if that, if you really believe that that's what it means, that premeditation is the line between murder and manslaughter or murder and um, killing or uh, and between murder, if you think that that's the line to cross, premeditation is the line you have to cross to make it murder, then that means, by that logic, then all the armies in the world, including the American ones, the so-called so uh, Christian soldiers, are murderers because all of those attacks, all of those fronts in war are planned. They're premeditated, they're, 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 uh, they're um, drawn out, and they're agreed upon, and that makes it murder if you believe that premeditation is the line for murder. And if you don't believe premeditation is the line for murder, if you believe just taking a life is the line for a murder, excuse me, then that must also mean um, the death penalty is also premeditation. Not just abortion. If you believe that that unborn uh, fetus is a life, uh, then you have to also believe the lives that have been born are lives, including those on death row. Many of them innocently on death row. All of that has to be considered murder if you believe premeditation is the line that makes it murder and we've read this a couple of chapters ago i think it was a couple of chapters ago maybe even last chapter where that's not the line um at least according to the bible that there's a line between murder and manslaughter and premeditation is not it but if you're going to say that that is it you can't just put abortion there then all those other things you plan a murder for also have to be included in that even before abortion since the and fetus, the infant, the baby hasn't been born yet. The baby hasn't breathed breath, breathed air yet. Baby hasn't seen the light of day yet. And even without planning that abortion, God only knows if that baby will ever come to term and see the light of day. So can you really call that murder? 
I don't know that it's a good thing, whether you call it murder or not. But I don't think you can really call that murder if the life hasn't actually experienced life yet. But, you know, believe what you want to believe. Verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. We've gone over that one again and again. Adultery at first glance might think, oh, fooling around on your spouse. But um, it's not quite that simple since um, adultery... Since um, a marriage, marriage vows are between the people who take them. That contract is between the people who take them. And like I said before, some people don't mind if other people are included in that contract where they have side pieces and it's perfectly okay with them. So it's not actually adultery because you're not um, breaking the contract you have with the person you made it with. But if you do break the contract, if you don't have those agreements, then yeah, then that does count as adultery. But um, um, it's it's not as uh, black and white as it may seem, especially, I wouldn't even say just in modern times, because if you consider in ancient times, adultery was, I mean, marriage wasn't one man and one woman, like Bible thumpers would like you to believe it was, is now, um, or how they want to believe or want to preach to you that how it should be now. It wasn't always like that at all. The patriarchs had several wives even sisters as wives in some cases so we know that that wasn't the case we know that that changes over time and we know that that's not faithful to even what the bible says so that the term adultery means different things to different people at different times and um and for instance in biblical times the man could have many different wives and we've said this before inside pieces and concubines the woman generally the wife is the woman she's uh the woman she can only have that one and it's more about property rights than equal rights uh, that whatever child she may end up pregnant with um it's the paternity is assured to be her husband's that's what it's mostly about it's not at all about or not it's much less about uh loving faithfulness to your marriage and mostly all about inheritance rights and property rights including down to the life or child or baby or fetus, however you want to think of it, that the woman may be carrying, the female may be carrying. Verse 19, you shall not steal. That's pretty cut and dry. Don't take what's not yours. But then if you think, um, if you look a little further, look a little deeper, it can cover a whole lot more things than just that. When you consider, like, the tax system in America, how money is literally taken from, the poor and funneled to the rich that's a form of theft when you consider like wage theft that's stealing both of those are stealing there's lots of other ways you could steal things um without just physically pickpocketing or lifting something that's not yours there's a whole lot of things you can steal someone's idea you can steal someone's invention you can steal someone's um uh, spouse you can steal all sorts of things and that's what's forbidden here Verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So that one's pretty cut and dry. Don't make up stories about someone. Don't lie on people. Don't uh, accuse them of things they didn't do. Um, Emmett Till, excellent example of that. Sad example of that. A child being accused of looking the wrong way at someone who's of the a different race and ends up getting mutilated genitals i think his genitals were uh, mutilated and cut off and a child i think he was 10 or 12 lynched and murdered 
um, because someone made up a story about him. Sad and disgusting. And only now is uh, the woman who accused him even facing any sort of uh, so-called justice for it. And she's like in her 70s or 80s now. It happened many years ago. And yet uh, the God-fearing Christian nation didn't bother with justice for that child at all. Verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So that commandment is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to focus on yourself. Don't focus on yourself to the point of you seeing what you don't have and what your neighbor does have and you saying, I want that to the point where you hate your neighbor for it. I think that's where the coveting, the coveting, well, the coveting actually comes in where you act like it's yours, even though it's not. That'd be the sort of Karen attitude where you feel entitled to everything, even if none of it is yours. And yet in America, the God-fearing Christian nation, that's exactly what happens. We covet other countries' oil fields as our own. We cover, covet people's bodies as our own and tell them what they should be doing with it and what they shouldn't do with it. And again, those are rules laid out for the common people, not for the elite people who are above it all. And that's Democrat and Republican. It's sad, it's disgusting, but it's the state of this country currently. Verse 20, these words the Lord speak, the, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness and a cloud and a loud voice, I'm sorry, with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So it's amazing how Moses is letting them know that that was it. There was nothing more than those Ten Commandments or as they called them, the Ten Words. And yet somehow all of those other ordinances and statutes and dogma get pinned on to it. And Moses seems to just go along with it. I guess because uh, he went along with it in the first place when his father-in-law suggested it that they add all those other voices in to contribute to the uh, management of the people and he went along with it without consulting the Lord or um, without consulting the entity he's uh, addressing as Lord again and again um, and it seems to me the people paid a price for it the people are still paying a price for it if you're going to um, believe that it is the Lord who's guided them this far um, uh, through all of these different things, these different events. Um, let me see. But it seems to me that verse, that verse 22 is pretty clear. The Ten Commandments are what Moses was given on those two tablets not once but twice to make sure we understand that that was it and yet again all those other things rise up um, as far as what we're supposed to be observing and following and living by even though they contradict other parts of the Bible itself so it seems to me that's a way for us to understand again that everything in the Bible is not God's words and everything in the Bible absolutely is not a Christian message at all because even in the Old Testament before the Christian tenets arise with Jesus's ministry in the flesh these things contradict each other before Jesus's clarity comes along but again believe what you want to believe verse 23 
So it was when you heard the voice of the mist, voice from the mist of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. So Moses is saying when they saw what was happening with the Lord's appearance, um, and uh, to them at that time, they gathered together to Moses. Verse twenty-one, four, and you said, "Surely, surely, the Lord our God." has shown us his glory and his greatness and we've heard his voice from the midst of the fire we've seen this day that god speaks with man yet he still lives so they're saying they're convinced by what they've seen at that point that they are interacting with the lord god almighty and that somehow their lives are preserved for because it's not written um anywhere that i've that we've read so far that if you hear the it's not written as a commandment anywhere or an order or anywhere that if you hear the Lord's voice, you have to die. That it's a death penalty if you hear the Lord's voice or if you see the Lord, it's a death penalty. It's not written, yet it seems to be something common in the culture that um, seeing the Lord and hearing the Lord is something that you won't hear or you won't experience. And if you do, then you're going to die or it's um, it's only after you have died. Um, yet again, it's not written anywhere that that's how it is, but it seems to be what's um, passed down in the culture. Verse 25, now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then... So, if you read with me before, you can understand why we're reading it the way we read it. So we'll take it bit by bit. The people are afraid that they're going to die if they hear any more of the terror, that if they experience any more of the terror that they hear or that they experience when they hear the voice of the Lord. So they're saying enough is enough. We believe it. We understand. Uh, no need to tell us anymore. We don't need to. They don't need to hear the Lord's voice anymore is what they're basically saying. They're saying we'll just go ahead and settle for you as the middleman. Now, that to me seems crazy. Why in the world would you, uh, well, obviously they're doing it out of fear, but why would you trade in a direct contact with the Lord God Almighty for a middleman? Especially when those times of need, say like when you're hungry or when you're thirsty or you feel threatened or you feel sick or you feel like you're about to die or you're under attack. Why would you trade being able to inst have instant contact with God Almighty with uh, for having to go through some other human and as your middleman. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but again, people do different things, especially out of when fear is the motivation, do things that don't make sense sometimes. Um, but so that's where they are. They're saying um, they don't want to die. So go ahead and Moses, you keep getting the message and keep delivering it to them. And they'll just be faithful to that. And we know how that turns out. Verse 26, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Well, if you're, they're asking a question, but it's sort of a rhetorical question. But if you take it literally, well, we've read about someone else who heard the voice of the Lord, even had an appearance from the Lord and lived. Remember the whole Balaam and Balak narrative where um, 
all they had to do was set up an altar, make the sacrifices, and the Lord would appear on demand. Not once, not twice, but three different times with a message with a, uh, for the ones who summon the Lord. So at least that person is one person who's experienced the Lord's voice and lived. Another would be Abraham. Another would be uh, Jacob. So there's different, there's plenty of different um, occasions where people are said to have interacted with the Lord, speaking with the Lord, and still live. They're just saying it from the midst of the fire. So instead of an actual physical appearance of the Lord, what they're experiencing, it seems to be, is some sort of huge bonfire or a mountain burning with fire, maybe a volcano erupting, that that's the, um, and a voice coming, emanating from that uh, flame seems to be their experience with uh, communicating with the Lord. But other people communicating with and even wrestling with, talking with, face to face with the Lord has been documented again and again. And we're only in the fifth book of the Bible. Uh, verse 27, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. So they're saying skip the um, direct contact. We'll go ahead and sign up for the middleman. They don't want to be bothered with the terror or the fear of interacting with the Lord anymore. Instead, they'll, they say you go ahead and do it. They're leaving it to Moses. And in this verse, Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals is still being translated from the word Jehovah. But the word God now has switched now from the word El to Elohim. So one more example of it changing again and again and again. And it's very subtle. And without the translations, I wouldn't even know it. I wouldn't have caught it. But um, with the translations, and I'm using the blueletterbible.org website and the tools it provides to see how the translations keep changing and you see how in this verse the is changed as uh, what's addressed as l the entity l t-h-e-e -E is what's translated from the word e-l with that same accent mark over it so uh, just something to take note of if you're trying to make sense of these different contradictory messages that seem to keep coming to the same people from the same entity. To me, it doesn't seem like it's from the same entity. Um, but it's how I read, so we'll just keep reading. So they're telling Moses, you keep on being the middleman. We'll, we're, we're cool with that. And, and they'll just hear that and do it. But we know that they aren't going to be faithful to that. Verse 28, Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of his people which they have spoken to you. They're right in all that they've spoken. So now, uh, not now, but this because this, again, this is reflecting back on when they had the appearance with the when the Ten Commandments were originally given that previous generation. Um, that at that point, the Lord agreed with the people that okay, they're right. I won't keep terrorizing them. I'll just deal with you as the middleman, and you keep delivering the message to them. And it didn't make sense then either, since that wasn't the first time, and there have been many times leading up to that time where the Lord, the Lord, the entity, lashed out at the people for being unfaithful again and again and again. And while we're on that subject, before I forget, the commandment about making no carved images of anything on earth, under the heavens, under the earth, any of that. That got contradicted also when they made a sepul, a sepulus, if I'm pronouncing it, a selpius, uh, the Greek uh, mythological god, the snake on a pole, when that was set up. 
and that was by under the same Lord's or God's command. So why would the Lord be telling you don't create carved images to worship, but then told them create a carved image that they can worship, that they can look to? It's contradictory again and again and again. And it's one more reason I, as a Christian, lean on the things Jesus has to say, the red letters of the New Testament of what Jesus actually says we Christians should be observing because a lot of the rest of the Bible contradicts itself. Verse 29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So at that time, the Lord was pleased with the fear that was stricken, that was stricken in the people at that appearance of the fire on the mountain and felt like and said oh if only they would always be fearful of me if only they would always be as reverent of me and always listen to me this way <clears throat> excuse me but that doesn't make sense either actually because if that's what the lord really longed for for the people to really be serving in fear and reverence always then why not keep up the same um, interaction with the people? If you see that that's what it took to make them fall in line, is you, a voice from heaven appearing to them, or a fire, or a voice coming from the fire to get them to stay faithful and fall in line and do right, then why not just keep doing that? If you see they're not going to be faithful to Moses, because we saw that up until that point when the Ten Commandments were given, and even after, while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, the people fell away into idolatry. If the Lord God Almighty can see that that's how the people are, and that the only thing that seems to restrain them is an appearance from the Lord God Almighty, or direct interaction with the voice of the Lord Almighty, then why wouldn't the Lord just do that? If you know that that's what it takes to keep them faithful, then just do that. If you really believe that that's what it takes to keep them faithful, and you know, since you can see the end from the beginning, that they aren't going to be faithful otherwise, then why not just do that? If truly you want, if you truly just wanted them to just be faithful, if that's the goal, if faithfulness at all costs is the goal, then why not just do that? Why go through the back and forth and back and forth with them being unfaithful and falling away and getting massacred or the lashing out or the anger and the fits? Why keep going through all that if you see the pattern and know how it's going to turn out? But it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. Verse 31, But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which you shall teach them, and they, that they may observe them in the land which I'm giving them to possess. So, the, uh, in that narrative, the Lord relented, heard what the people said, that they were afraid, and decided, okay, we'll stick with Moses as the spokesman, as the middleman, and I'll just keep giving the commandments to you, and you can just keep delivering to them. And they'll be more faithful to you, because you're human, than faithful to the voice that they're terrified of. That just doesn't make sense. And we know it didn't make sense because they weren't faithful. And even Moses ended up getting barred from the Holy Land, the Promised Land, for unfaithfulness. Or for something that is perceived as a slight um, against the Lord. So if the Lord knows all that from the beginning, why keep putting the people through that? Verse 32, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So 
as we're wrapping up this chapter, the people are being reminded that focus on these Ten Commandments. These are the ten things that the Lord is having you have would have us to observe and do. And um and that it's necessary for the people to observe these things as they enter that promised land that they're most supposed to hold on to those Ten Commandments, observe them and do them, even as they pass over into a whole new uh, world. Verse 33, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that I may be well and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So they're being the people are being commanded to be obedient to the ten, these Ten Commandments laid out here again for them so that being in that in being faithful to them wherever they go, particularly in the promised land in this instance, where they're crossing over to go in and colonize in modern terms, that things will go well with them if they're faithful to those commandments. And maybe if it had just stayed those Ten Commandments, people would have been more faithful to them. But since all those other uh, dogmatic statutes and ordinances got pinned on to it, even though we just read that that's not what they're supposed to do, you're not supposed to add to it or take away from it. It's supposed to be just those and nothing more to it. And yet we saw chapter after chapter, book after book, where all these other different things are added on to it, piled on. Or as Jesus says, they bind the scribes and Pharisees. Um, what was it? Um, bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. Uh, and they put them on men's shoulders, but they won't bother bearing them themselves. They won't bother to lift them with one of their little fingers because the burden isn't for them, it's for the people. It's dogma, it's a way of wrangling the people, keeping people roped into a way of thinking old head thinking in modern terms that keeps you from that keeps progress from happening the same thing that you see unfolding in politics in america now where you get a president that's ready willing and able to jump to the aid of the rich the betsy devosses of the world or the joys of the world that um keep think keep progress from happening they keep interfering with things like voting they keep interfering with things like education but he's ready johnny on the spot the work for them the wealthy who are working because they can influence policy not because they need a paycheck um rather than working for the poor the people who actually voted for him and put him in the office. And you see it just play out again and again and again in American society. You see now where this whole trial is starting up for the big fat guy who helped, it seemed, plot the January 6th uh, riots, insurrection, sedition, the treason, was a part of all that, even announcing before it happened, before January 6th, that something big was going to happen. And what does he do? He gets subpoenaed. He gets to skip the subpoena and decide when he wants to answer the subpoena. And then so they put it off. They let him walk around free. He wasn't put into custody when he didn't uh, uh, cooperate with the subpoena. He wasn't arrested and thrown in the jail until he cooperated. No, he was still allowed his freedom to walk around smirking and walk around doing his show and making money and profiting off of the corruption or the seeming corruption all this time in the meantime and wait until he feels like it and now they're putting him on a trial for uh, or they're proceeding with the trial for his um denying that subpoena but uh, he's already won he wasn't put in jail immediately like anybody else 
uh, who wasn't in that position and didn't have that complexion would have been. Let You think somebody black would have been able to just say, oh, I'm not going to answer that subpoena uh, for whatever reason, much less of executive privilege that they didn't even have. I don't think they would even allow Obama to do that. And yet, you see that that's not the case here. You see, and the Democrats who were under attack that day are mostly silent. They're going along with this theater of a of a January 6th commission that has no teeth. It it doesn't have the ability to actually uh, take charges against anyone, have anyone arrested or uh, for denying the subpoenas or any of that stuff. It's so much theater and it's so sick. It's so sick and it's so sickening because we know again, if it were people who didn't have that complexion, it it would have been wrapped up a year and a half ago when it happened. Arrests would have been made right then. Armies would have been swooped in right then. And people would have been rounded up right then. And not one of them would have been able to go free from that riot. And yet, it's just the opposite because the complexion for protection prevails in this wicked country. Maybe in this wicked world. But anyway, that's the end of this chapter. So we'll stop our reading here. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you're staying safe. And God bless you for joining me. See you next time. I love you. Peace be with you.